Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. the year is right around the corner as college football season is about to start. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hello everyone, my name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdown and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Phil McRae, former director of North American Amateur Scouting with Arizona Coyotes. A tenured scout with other elite programs as well, Phil has a strong grasp on the scouting concept, and I am super excited to have him share his knowledge with everyone today. With that, here's Phil McRae, former director of North American Amateur Scouting with the Arizona Coyotes. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Phil McRae, former director of North American Amateur Scouting with the Arizona Coyotes. Phil, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Yeah, definitely. It, it's great to have you on. Uh, you know, we've been talking here for for a little while, and and we'll likely get you back when when we form the uh, the scouting roundtable, which is something we announced uh, there a little while back. But uh, you know, a, a lot of things to unpack here in your career. You've had NHL experience, OHL experience, and some other positions along the way. So, uh, first and foremost, maybe just allow listeners to learn a little bit more about you. Talk about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and just provide some more background information. Uh, so that they can get to know you better. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, not unlike a lot of uh, a lot of kids from Ontario. Um, I grew up in a small town, uh, Beaverton, which um, a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but small town of about fifteen hundred people. And um, you know, I've got two other brothers and two sisters. Uh, we grew up on a farm and. You know, we were at the rink uh, pretty much every night growing up because we always played on our team and then one age group up uh, all the way through. And my father was heavily involved in coaching in the, in the town as well. Although he never played the game, he had a real passion for the game. So, um, 
you know, uh, and, and, you know, in the winters, we always had the, uh, a rink on the farm as well. So many Saturdays were spent out there with some of the neighbors, uh, on the, on the, uh, frozen rink and coming, uh, coming in only when it hit, uh, hit darkness. So, um, yeah, we, we grew up, uh, real, real small town. And then as things progressed, um, you know, we, we started dipping our foot in the water, playing junior hockey and, and took our separate routes with, uh, my two brothers, both playing, uh, uh, at the pro level and, um, uh, myself playing at the junior level and then on, on to college and, uh, taking a different route, uh, professionally, uh, being a police officer for 30 years and um where they uh, they ventured off in their pro careers so yeah that that's basically in a nutshell uh how things got started yeah no i always love hearing the, the early years and definitely growing up on a farm and having having your own rink set up I, I think that's always uh you know kind of fuels your passion in the game and and then as you said you've had some success in junior and college level and uh, one of the things that was very interesting when I was looking at your, your kind of resume, as they say, um, was your time as a police officer. And you did that for a number of years, I, I guess, like many people who are maybe looking to make a change and get into hockey, uh, at what point did working in the game of hockey become a focus for you, or even just something that you might even think about looking to pursue in the near future? Yeah, I mean, it, it had sporadically throughout my policing career, I, I'd had aspirations to get involved you know at least at the junior level and uh but just um depending on where i was in my career and and what unit i was uh, specifically assigned to it, it made it difficult to make a a firm commitment at at certain times so when i was approaching uh, more of the twilight years of my career um uh that's when i got more involved at least at the ohl level um because uh my brother uh, has an ownership piece in the London Knights with uh, Dale and Mark Hunter and he'd been on me like after me for several years to get involved in and just due to work commitments I couldn't I couldn't make that commitment so uh, when I did uh, get involved um, uh, I, I really realized how much I'd missed it um, prior to that I'd I'd helped out um, Larry Bone who's a head scout um, up in Thunder Bay um, at Lakehead University. So, and that would involve just doing some bird dogging, you know, some, a couple players you may have interest in here and there at the, either the OHL level or, or the, uh, tier two junior A level that, uh, he wanted a second opinion on, so to speak. And, uh, so I, I'd kind of dabbled in it a little bit and then got more involved with the Knights. And once I saw the way they, you know, their program runs and, and, you know, the reputations and, uh, that uh, Dale and Mark uh, have in the game and what they've built there uh, since taking over the ownership of the, the Knights. Uh, it was something I was really, um, really interested in being a part of. And, um, you know, uh, with a guy like Mark, he, he, he was really a mentor for me. And, and then I also reconnected with a, a friend from my uh, teen years, uh, Lindsay Hofford, who was, um, their director of scouting at the time. And, and previous to that, he had, he was, uh, he had coached for the Knights before heading out West for a few years. So there was a, a reconnection, um, with Lindsay and, uh, I had known Dale, um, uh, previously, uh, 
through my brother's connection with him. Uh, they were both drafted by the Nordiques. So they had played for a short time uh, early on in their pro careers. And then of course, competed against one another for several years as well as Mark. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, the Knights were really a, a big stepping stone for me and, um, and a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of mentorship provided by, uh, like Mark, like I, like I said earlier. Yeah, no, the, the London Knights are our premier program and definitely have a lot of success. And, uh, ironically, Lindsay Hofford is a, a guest of this podcast as well. He was on, uh, there a little while ago and was able to talk about, kind of the same thing the mentorship that goes on with that program and and he was kind of in a coaching position as well as scouting so uh kind of seen it from a a couple different perspectives but uh maybe even just before the London Knights and and possibly even before Lakehead uh one of the programs you participated in very early on was sport management worldwide uh maybe just briefly touch on that and then uh, how that program maybe uh, gave you a little bit of a head start or, or just your general thoughts on on utilizing that program while getting into scouting yeah, I, I kind of just stumbled upon the uh, the program, you know, through social media. So I, I, I looked into it and uh, I, I, I do know, uh, I did know uh, Mike Oak at the time as well. And, and, and uh, Mike's a respected guy in the game. And, and we actually have similar backgrounds uh, uh, as well. He had, he had previously worked uh, with CSIS, um, um, the Canadian uh, Intelligence Services of Canada. Um, so there was kind of a common thread there as well. So uh, once I once I delved into, you know, who, who was connected with that program and what they were going to offer, I thought it was something that'd be beneficial to me as I was kind of looking forward to getting more involved in the game. And um, I, I I thought it was very well run. The, the program content was excellent. And then it also gives uh, individuals to, an opportunity to get hands on. Um, with some of the scouting software that's commonplace, in, you know, in a lot of the junior and pro teams uh, worldwide, you know, RankNet, and um, they also uh, gave you access to Steva uh, software as well. Um, and then the other big component of it was uh, every Sunday night there was a group call where Harry Sinden would be on the call, and uh, it was, you know. It was it was totally open. Any question you had for Harry Sinden. So there's a guy who's you know he's been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, probably printed the t-shirt. So there isn't anything really that that guy hasn't seen. So that that was really a a great experience. And then again, the ability to network with uh, people that you meet through your uh, duration on the course. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the the general sense we've gotten from the few guests who who have participated, and um, Mike being another guest who's come on and obviously talked about that program with his involvement and and his current involvement with the program. Still, uh, a great opportunity to to learn the the basics and get him introduced to some of those platforms and and people in the game, as you mentioned, and uh, maybe then going back into the London Knights position. You know, the the OHL uh scouting grind is extensive and, and there are a lot of players in a, a large pool of, of elite players so um takes a lot of time and a lot of commitment even for guys who most of the times are, are working other jobs uh, to make ends meet so maybe just talk about um that side of it like the the hours committed to the ohl draft and um and the difference maybe in scouting at the junior level as opposed to some of your future opportunities that would come very shortly after 
Yeah, the um, I think the first and foremost is that guys that are have aspirations of of getting involved in scouting, whether it's strictly at the junior level or or eventually progressing to the pro level, is uh, in the early years and, and the lower levels, you you have to be prepared to to uh, work for free, and that's the that's the reality of it. it it's all about getting the experience and um, uh, learning the leagues. Um, and and what I mean by learning the leagues is you could you can be a great you know hockey mind uh, you know you, you could have an NHL player that's freshly retired and decides he's going to buy a say a tier two team and, and he's going to be the head coach and he, he may have some success right away but if but they may struggle initially too and the reason that is is that if they've never set eyes on say for example the the OJHL um, then the, you know, they don't have a good handle on the, the level of the league, uh, who the good players are currently, uh, the importance of having uh, very good character, older players to, to, uh, to tutor or mentor the younger players. So there's some real value in getting a good handle and grasp on what the league is all about, the, the talent levels, where the, um, where those leagues can possibly uh, feed into at the higher levels, whether it's college, D3, D1. And um, I think that's the most important thing is you, you, there's no getting around the work. Uh, you've got to be prepared to put a lot of miles on your car and spend your own gas money and things like that. And, you know, some of the teams uh, will, will cover some expenses, you know, if you, if you are going to a hotel up in Sudbury for a midget tournament and, things like that, but a lot of it's on your own dime. And that's just, it, it's no different really than it's, it, you're doing an internship really. And, um, and uh, it's good. Like uh, one of the best pieces of advice Mark Hunter gave me before he said, it's, it's good to ask questions, but just don't answer any. And uh, so I'm sure you understand what he means by that is that there are guys that like most of the guys that are involved in the game at the scouting level, they're, they're all great, passionate hockey guys. They love being at the rink and they, you know, they love watching hockey. And, um, but it's, uh, it, it's so important to keep things close to the vest. Um, you can, you can discuss uh, elements of the game or, or uh, certain teams or, or things like that, but it's, it's very important to keep your opinions of, you know, prospective players that uh, that you think could add some value to your organization very important to keep that close and, and tight and um, because uh, at the end of the day you're working for a specific team and 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 that you know information and knowledge is power and um, that's that's one of the biggest things is really watching what you say and always have your ears open but uh, you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason so yeah, better to do a lot more listening and, and less talking. For sure. A great point. And, um, you know, you take those lessons and, and obviously have a lot of conversations as uh, I've seen, at least in the rinks in Ontario, the scouts are very close. So you learn from people, even from different teams and learn about the game. And eventually, as you keep moving forward, the next goal um, for many people is that NHL position. And for you, that opportunity would come with the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
maybe just talk us through the process of joining them, kind of how you found yourself in that position and then what you learned in that initial NHL scouting position. Yeah, it, it that opportunity with Columbus came along quicker than I had anticipated. Um, I, I was, uh, had been working for London and um, I, I got a heads up that Columbus was looking for a guy, a part-time guy, excuse me, for Ontario. And um, so uh, I threw my hat in and I, like I tell people, I was able to trick them and get hired. And, um, but no, it was, uh, it was a great opportunity and, and a great first uh, foot in the door. And, and then of course, you know, Yarmo Kekalainen does have a very strong reputation, uh, not only as a GM, um, but, you know, he, he, he made his, uh, his mark as a scout and a pretty, uh, pretty astute and savvy scout. So um, it was, a, it was a good opportunity to, to join an organization that had uh, one of the best uh, scouting minds in the business at the time. And, um, and again, there was other guys in, in, uh, in a support role that were beneficial to me, guys like Greg Drexel, uh, who was with Columbus for probably at least 10 years and recently just moved on to Nat, uh, the Nashville Predators. And uh, he was a guy who, you know, there was never a bad question and always had time for me. And uh, those are things that you don't forget. And you, you, you'd like to try and be that guy for the next guys coming through, you know, and um, Joseph Boomin was another guy, uh, you know, he's the director of their pro scouting now. And um, he served uh, in, in an amateur role you know, in Europe for several years. And um, after a, after a long playing career. So um leaning on guys like that, you know, because you, you're, you're constantly learning and, and kind of honing your craft and you're, and you're taking, um, you're taking elements of, you know, someone's style, you know, how they look at the game or, or evaluate talent. And you, you can kind of pick up little pieces from, from different individuals and then, and then um, develop a style that is, is best suited for you. So I'm a big believer in, in preparation and, being at the rink early, um, you know, like, because in, in especially in, when you're going to the junior rinks, um, and, and even if you're going to the minor hockey rinks, you know, cert, certain arenas maybe don't have the best sight lines and stuff. So by being early, you, you get down, you get your spot. Um, also you may see things, you know, that happen, you know, prior to the game or, or even after the game, if you're staying back after that, you know, if guys are flying in there just before puck drop and leaving with five minutes left in the third period that they may not pick up on. So, you know, um, by leaving early at games, like to me, what does that do that gets you home 15 minutes earlier? So um, it, it may be a good opportunity for you then to go down and talk to a coach about one of his players when everybody else has left the rink. So, um, and, you know, again, those are things that other teams have no idea that, you know, you're, you're getting that maybe gleaning some valuable information that they were, um, that they've missed out on. So there's a lot of little elements and there's, uh, you know, guys like uh, Jim McKellar too, who is a former assistant GM in London and has had great success um, with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, he, he was another guy that just always had plenty of time for you. And, and there were little things that he, that he liked to do and, and look at, um, uh, uh, when he was evaluating players too. So 
Yeah, there, there's a few things from certain guys that I've kind of adopted and, and put into my process uh, of how I go about uh, scouting uh, a game. Yeah, so many great tidbits there of information and great people that were able to help you. And uh, I, I think in hockey, we see so many people talk about, you know, quote, you're stealing from everybody that you meet. And, and I think it's just building it into your own process and finding what works and what doesn't work even in, in certain situations. And um, you know, eventually you kind of keep building with the Columbus Blue Jackets and your next stop is with the Arizona Coyotes, this time taking on a director role, uh, North American Amateur Scouting. So again, talk about the transition to Arizona, how that came about, and then also maybe some more responsibilities that you took on in that director position. Yeah, it, um, I'd been in Columbus for three years and then uh, uh, basically what happens in the at the national hockey league level is um there is it's kind of like an unwritten rule that if if uh there's an opportunity for someone on your staff to uh interview uh for a, a position that would be a higher position or a promotion generally teams won't stand in their way they'll grant permission if they or if they don't grant permission quite often they'll you know they they will promote that person from within because they want to retain them um, but in most cases, it, you know, if, if it's, uh, if it's an opportunity, just like the, you know, the senior management of any other club, um, if it's an opportunity for that person to, to, uh, get a bigger opportunity, they, they generally don't stand in their way. So that was the case in Arizona. Um, uh, they, they came calling and, and, uh, you know, spoke with Columbus about asking to interview me. And so. I went through the process and, and, you know, the first person I dealt with was uh, uh, Lindsay Hofford. So Lindsay from, you know, his uh, numerous years in London, uh, then went on to Toronto um, uh, with Mark Hunter and then um, Arizona came calling on him and offered him an assistant, uh, assistant GM uh, slash uh, director of scouting. So he was overseeing both the pro and amateur side uh, moving forward and uh, so then Lindsay wanted to bring me in so um, yeah so I had a great dialogue with Lindsay and and then uh, with uh, the GM at the time John Chayka uh, who was um, uh, really impressive uh, young man uh, I mean when you have a discussion with them you know like I, I'm in my fifties and, and he seems like, you know, he, he's right there too. And he's such a young guy, you know, he's, he's uh, wise beyond his years and he, he's very progressive thinking as well. So um, yeah, so I had good, uh, good conversations with them and they decided to bring me on board. And, um, and uh, so initially I was, I was uh, doing Ontario, but then I was also doing extensive crossover. So um so the first year was basically in a crossover role uh and i that was my first time uh, venturing outside of ontario uh and so um it was it was great experience now now you got exposed to you know not only all the leagues in north america but also in europe so um because prior to that you know you could be in in your scouting meetings you know uh say previously in columbus and you know, you have your list together, you're very confident of the guys that in your region. And then they're talking about, you know, another comparable player in the US or, or in Sweden. And, 
you really can't debate anything or, or question where they have that player ranked because you haven't had the opportunity to, to put eyes on them. And um, so in the crossover role, it really, you really get a good idea. Again, you get a, a feel for what each league, the level is, uh, what the level is at. And then when you're discussing certain players that are close, you're, you're basically comparing apples to apples. So it, it was really valuable to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated Lindsay uh, putting the confidence in me to, to assume that role and, and uh, gain invaluable experience. Um, and so uh, just leading into the draft um, uh, that year, moving forward, then they promoted me to oversee North America. So I, I was responsible for our staff in North America and then uh, at the same time still doing extensive crossover and, um, and then also uh, responsible for two pro teams. And uh, that was one practice I thought was, was a great idea. Um, we, we had all our amateur scouts the second year that I was in Arizona uh, assume two pro teams. So basically the NHL team and then their farm team. And uh, it just gave guys a lot better idea, especially the younger staff. We had a quite, quite a young staff in Arizona. Um, gave them a, a lot better idea of just the level and how good players actually have to be to be an impact player at the American Hockey League level. And uh, the other things I, I think it really serves well is, um, you know, there may be a player in the, in the current draft that you're looking at and you have him ranked wherever you have him ranked. And maybe you you can, you're comparing him to a guy you were looking at three years ago. So now you see this guy in the American Hockey League or the National Hockey League and, you know, you're seeing can this guy that, I, that I'm high on right now, can he be that player? Can he, how, how's the, the previous player, um, you know, assimilating to, to the AHL level or the NHL level? And I think it really gives guys a lot better idea uh, because, you know, more and more, you know, when you're scouting for the OHL, <clears throat> you're watching a ton of minor midget games and you're not seeing a ton of OHL games. And, and the same goes for the NHL level. You know, you're in these junior ranks a lot and you don't have time to watch a, a lot of NHL hockey. So I really think it's uh, important that you still kind of have, you have to keep your finger on the pulse of each league. So even my early days in, in Columbus, I just took it upon myself to, to see, you know, you know, probably a dozen, um, AHL games every year just on my own because I thought there was it was just important to know what the current state of the league was at and um, and they they generally mimic what the NHL successful teams are doing right and um, so that practice I think it really it really served to make all our scouts better now they had a real good understanding of you know how good the AHL is and then the next step the NHL and um and I think it really enhanced their their evaluation process. No, I, I think that's a great idea as well. And um, definitely I, I've seen people, um, I, I know I even did it at the beginning for sure when I was scouting minor midget hockey uh, instantly, you, you'd be trying to make comparisons to the OHL without actually taking the time to thoroughly watch the OHL. And, you know, the same could be said, as you mentioned there for, for looking at the next level, whether it be the AHL or, or eventually the NHL. And, 
just having that uh, different dynamic, uh, you know, it offers an opportunity to learn more. And uh, again, for you in a different team, a different situation, a different scouting process, you know, there's so many takeaways that um, that you can build on and, and for your own uh, resume and your own abilities in the scouting field. And uh, one of the things that a lot of people talk about the difference in, in scouting for uh, the NHL or pro hockey and junior hockey is that adjustment for development, as you said, kind of thinking about, okay, how is this going to transfer to the AHL and talking about those players into the NHL? Um, maybe just talk about that difference and then the kind of your thoughts on, on when scouting in professional hockey versus junior, was there much of a transition or uh, uh, did it take some time to kind of make that adjustment on your own? Yeah. I mean, there's an, <clears throat> there's an adjustment period for sure. Um, with the OHL, like, all these kids that are that are drafted and are and and that are stepping into an OHL lineup, they're they've always been the best kids on their own teams growing up, and um, so for some of them too, it's there, there's so many factors at the junior level as far as what, how they're going to impact the league. So a lot of it can be based on opportunity. So if a if, if a team is very deep. They may not get all of a sudden, you know, like they've always played first line power play PK. They're playing 35 minutes a night <clears throat> and now they're, they're being healthy scratched and they're getting uh, five shifts a night or in the early part of the season. And mentally they've got to be really strong. They've got to have a good support system um, to help them deal with that. Cause they've never, they've never not been on going over the boards on the power play or they've never not been playing in top six role. And, um, and it, it's really, it's really tough for a 16 year old player to have a, a serious impact in the league at the CHL level, uh, unless they're, unless they're exceptional. And, uh, that's just the way it is because, you know, as players get older and smarter and, and they're all bigger and stronger, it, it you know, it, it makes it tough for, for these 16 year olds to make the transition because, for the high majority of them, this is the first time they've ever played against anyone even a year older than them, right? They've always played at their own age group. So now they're playing against guys that are, you know, some of them are four years older than, than they are. And, and, and some of them are men. And um, so depending on, you know, the organization they go to, um, it may be if it's a more mid, middle of the road team, they, they may get more opportunity and they can get eased into the, the lineup and get their confidence and and so on and so forth and um and then the other part of it too is you get kids as well that are coming in that you know that are that are maybe all almost already fully developed physically at 16 whereas some aren't hitting it till they're 19 so those factors really play into it and and i think you, you've got to be careful to gauging how much ceiling you believe each of these individuals may have. So you can have a, a, a player who's always been the top of his game and running the table at the minor hockey level. And, um, and he comes in and maybe has, has a bit of an impact as a 16 year old, but doesn't progress as much because he's, he's almost been a man at 16 and 17. And uh, whereas now this younger kid who came in very slight and, you know, not not as strong as continued to grow his game and and um 
get bigger, stronger, faster, more confidence, better opportunities. And uh, that's where it can get tricky because there's lots of, you know, it happens in, in all the levels, but there's lots of first round picks in, in the Canadian Hockey League that never move on to the pro level either, but turned out to be very good junior players and, um, and then vice versa, late round picks, even in the, even in the OHL draft and, and they end up turning into impact players in the, in, in, in the OHL and then moving on and having success at the NHL level. So everyone's on a different timetable. Every, you know, every case is different. Um, and, uh, you're not always going to be right either, you know? Um, but I think if, uh, if you, if you put the work in, there's no getting around going to games and getting the viewings in, I think it really minimizes your chances of, of being wrong to a significant degree. Uh, you're still not going to be right all the time. That's, you know, that's just the way it is. And, but, um, you know, being over-prepared and, um, and staying the extra, you know, spending the extra time at the rink and, 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 and finding out as much as you can about the player's background, their character and their family and, you know, what they're like at school and things like that. It's, you know, you can't be, you can't be uh, overprepared. For sure. And, and, you know, that's the kind of the focus in scouting is always making sure you're doing everything and doing the due diligence and searching for any player and uh, continuing on the, on the junior topic. Uh, you know, as you said, some players are physically mature right away and are impact players and some guys aren't as physically mature, aren't developed as much and, and are kind of maybe later round picks and, and go on to be successful players. And, uh, you know, it seems like every player has a different situation and it's really hard to predict a lot of times, but uh, just maybe looking at your uh, time with the Knights, you know, a lot of players went on to the next level from those Knights program uh, and, and those teams during your tenure there. So w- was there maybe any player that very early in the process stood out as a player that might be able to, to play at the highest level and maybe one that eventually did go on uh, that might have even surprised you from your initial viewing? Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, the kid that jumps out, I mean, the Knights have had, have had several guys that have come through and been undrafted and had great success. I mean, Josh Anderson was passed over twice in the, in the minor midget and then midget drafts and came in as signed as a free agent. And we're seeing now the success Josh Anderson has had, um, you know, great player hits. I mean, there's, in my opinion, guys like him and Tom Wilson, you know, they're very, very similar they're unicorns you just don't find them um guys that are big can move have skill uh are really hard to play against and are legitimately you know two of the toughest guys in the league and so they bring a lot of leadership and they bring a lot of qualities that you just you know that are really tough to find so um but uh, but you know the one player that i would really uh you know jumps out for me is uh alex formanson um so he he was uh i i was uh covering major midget and tier two that year um for the knights uh looking for free agents you know potential free agent invites and stuff like that and um so i was at a midget playoff game uh mississauga rebels and and the young nats and the young nats won the Tells cup that year very good team so at the start of the game, I, you know, I, I see this little guy starting at left wing and I, he's not on the program. So I'm like, okay, he's a call up, whatever. So 
anyway, he's best player in the game and his skating is like un unbelievable, but this guy's tiny. So at the start of his minor midget year, he's five, six, 120 pounds. Um, so I, I see the game and, and at the time, uh, Mark Hunter had already left. He was in Toronto. And so my brother was the, uh, the GM in London. And, uh, so I tell him about this kid after the game and he's like, okay, well, you know, see what you can find out. And so I found him on rink net and I'm looking and I'm, so he led his team in scoring, had like 94 minutes and penalties. And I'm like, okay. So I, I, I watched him. I saw eight playoff games and he was pretty much the best player every game. And so, and at this time he wasn't even on the OHL draft list. And I'm like, I don't get it, man. Like I know he's tiny, but he had lots of, lots of grit in his game and skill and his skating was elite. Um, so I, you know, we, we added them to the list. And so what, what you, you can add players prior to the draft and all the teams get the players that have been added late, but they don't have, act, they don't know what team added them. Um, so for me, you know, I, I was like of the opinion, I says, I, I said, you know, this guy is a legitimate third round pick. I said, but you know, we can probably get him in the sixth round or whatever. And so literally, literally, and Mark used to always say, you want a guy, you got to pound the table. So literally from the sixth round on, I was pounding the table, you know, let's take this guy, let's take this guy. And my brother was giving me the hairy eyeball, like, you know, relax. So finally we took him in the 11th round. And uh, so he came to rookie camp uh, two weeks later and was really good. And um, so, uh, but you know, he, he was very, really slight. So uh, I, I talked to James Richmond, who at the time was the head coach in Aurora at the OJHL uh, before leaving to go to Mississauga in the OHL and told him about him. And he was kind of worried when he saw how small he was. And I said, let me know what you think after 10 minutes. So he come back after about five minutes and says, yeah, we'll sign him. And anyway, Alex, Alex had a big growth spurt that year. And uh, the next, the next uh, camp, he went into London at, um, six one and 155 pounds still really slight but again and he was he was dynamite um they signed him um you know and then his first year they, they had such a deep team he you know he played primarily on the fourth role so he you know he just had to make the most of his opportunity um but uh, you know ottawa made a made a real good selection at 47 and um you know now he's in the national hockey league uh, his first year as a as a 20 year old, you know, uh, uh, rookie in the AHL, he had 27 goals, um, 55 points in a shortened season. And, um, he's, you know, now he's six, three, 195 pounds. And again, he's, he's a elite level skater. So to me, that was a kid that, you know, um, it was all about size. That's why he wasn't on the list. Uh, but, uh, he was, he was a kid that wasn't going to be denied. And, um, so things have really worked out for him well, uh, in the Ottawa system and they've done a terrific job, uh, making sure that he had the, the proper support and, uh, getting the reps in at the AHL level to prepare him for the national hockey league. Definitely. And I think he's one of those players, as, as you kind of hinted at there, that really took his time in his development. And, and we've seen that uh, kind of following him now to his NHL position. And 
you know, that's one of the guys that you kind of find in the rinks. Uh, you know, you don't always see them, but every now and then you really catch one. Uh, Cam Keith, a former guest of ours, talked about kind of running into the same situation when he found Kent Johnson. Um, obviously, an NHL pick this year, uh, fifth overall to Columbus. So, uh, you know, great to see just when these players kind of come through and are able to kind of beat the odds because a lot of people do focus on that size and and sometimes may overlook a player just because uh, they're not as far along as their development, as we've also talked about. And, um, you know, a lot of times when people are scouting and looking for these uh, players that kind of fly under the radar, you know, sometimes it could be in a rink that's maybe a little bit further out. Uh, you know, Northern Ontario has long been a place where uh, you sometimes see these players maybe slip through. Uh, Justin Brazo is one who maybe some people might talk about, but we're seeing more scouts maybe use video to try to locate these players and, and then mix in some in-person viewing. So uh, with that in mind, I guess, what are your thoughts on video scouting versus in-person scouting uh, when trying to do uh, evaluate a player and things like that? Yeah, both, both have their, uh, their pros and cons for sure. Um, but uh, my first year going into Arizona, um, uh, like, like I said, John, John Chaika is very, very innovative and progressive, and he's always looking to, to find ways to maximize uh, um, the, the um, amenities that you have around you and also look at the game in, in different ways. And, and uh, that's where him and, him and Lindsay uh, uh, really melded well together because Lindsay has, you know, he, he's had a very successful uh, business with um, pro hockey development. Uh, he's seen a ton of, uh, of um, NHL players and stars come through his program uh, in the 27, 27 or so years he's had the business going. And um, so Lindsay was a big proponent of uh, uh, complementing our our physical viewings with uh, the addition of video. And um, it, it, really, it really enhances your, I think your, your evaluation process. Uh, and for a couple of reasons, the, you have the ability to watch um, a player on video and stop and watch that play, you know, as many times as you want. To, to figure out, you know, did he really make that play, whether it was for the positive or the negative. And, um, and then the other thing too, is that sometimes you end up picking up on another player that's not even on your radar within that game, because maybe he's playing on the same line or he's on the same D pairing or whatever the case may be. And then, and so now you start uh, honing in on this guy, this other guy again, um, but uh, what I what I found it really useful for, especially in my role when I was doing so much crossover, is using it for a pre-scout tool. Um, so whether that you know I, I'm I'm in Barrie, so north of Toronto, but whether that was a case of me going out west, you know, to see players in Saskatoon or Calgary or or, or it's a USHL or over in Europe, um, you know, I, I could. I could watch half a dozen games on video to have a real good feel of what their game was all about, what Jersey number they were, what situations they were playing in <clears throat> prior to getting to the rink, instead of getting to the rink, trying to locate that player. And, uh, and maybe for some reason, you know, he, he doesn't have the best game. And then you've formed your opinion that no, this kids, you know, our, our, our regional scout is, 
really overvaluated this guy, overvalued him, you know, and, but meanwhile, he just had an off night, you know, and um, uh, a lot of the teams use uh, Instat, which is a terrific uh, program. And uh, so obviously, you know, it, it only cuts each player's shifts. So, you know, even if you're on a flight going to Europe or whatever, and a kid's playing 18 or 20 minutes a night, you can blow through five, six, seven games and have a real good feel for uh, what their game's going to be all about. And I found it was even more valuable for the, for the guys that maybe in Europe that are playing pro, um, but maybe not getting many, uh, many shifts. Right. So if, if you don't already know the Jersey number and kind of the way the guy moves on the ice and you can't pick them up quickly, you could miss them and, you know, a game where maybe they've got four shifts. So I found it really useful. Um, and then, uh, and then you were able to really break down their, their defensive game as well. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the better offensive players, you know, uh, you know, probably for the most part, they're, they're, the deficiencies are going to be on the defensive side of the game. So, um, and then the guys that maybe have a very strong defensive game at an early age, that's something really that, um, you know, you give a credit to their, their ability to read the game. And also, you know, you have to credit coaching staff as well. So yeah, the video component was really big for us there. And um, it was almost like when the pandemic hit, it was almost like custom tailored for, Arizona Coyotes really because it had already been in play and, and guys really had a good handle on it. So um, the, the kind of unofficial benchmark in the National Hockey League is, you know, for a lot of scouts, um, you know, in the area of 200 to 250 games, it's kind of considered, yeah, like, you know, that's a pretty good number. And we were, all our guys were well north of that with combined live and video viewings. And I really think it minimizes your chances of, you know, getting a guy wrong. Um, and at the same time, you know, having, having a read on the draft and, and, and being fairly confident that <clears throat> this is a good value player that we don't have to maybe take in the second round. He, he should be there in the fourth round and he's, you know, going to be a hell of a player. And, a guy, for instance, that I that I think fit that mold exactly was Matthias Michelli, uh, who a Finnish-born player, but he had played in the USHL, and um, we got him in the fourth round, and uh, he had put up good, really good numbers in the USHL, and then you know right after being drafted, played in the Finnish Elite League and was Rookie of the Year. So I think legitimately he was a he was a second round pick. Um, but it was just the, the preparation that went into to, uh, seeing these guys and, and recognizing that this guy had, had a lot of uh, tools in, in his arsenal that were that really, I think, translate well, will translate to the NHL game. Yeah, great point. And, uh, you know, a great breakdown there of utilizing video, as you said, you've done at the NHL level. And I think a lot of time uh, scouts just want to look to maximize time. You know, there's a lot of travel, especially at the highest level where there's a lot of flights and um, anytime you're crossing over in Europe, as you said, you know, there's a, there's a quite a ride there that you want to kind of use it to, to your advantage. So definitely in stat and programs like that, that you can break down video and uh, locate some things on a player before the live viewing is definitely beneficial. And 
Um, a lot of scouts have talked about the love of, of using video in their scouting process, but again, most uh, kind of touch on the fact that they love getting into the rinks. So I guess a fun question before we get into the reflective stage, uh, do you have a favorite rink to scout in or one place that you kind of think about every time you think about uh, taking in a game live? I would have to say at the, uh, at the junior level, um, uh, Niagara Ice Dogs, uh, I, I really like uh, watching games there. It's, it's a beautiful building for starters. And then at the, uh, the suite level, um, there's an open concourse. So lots of, you're able to move around, but they've got a nice big ledge to have your laptop on. And there's not a bad sight line in that rink. So that's, uh, that's probably one of my favorites. Um, uh, the NHL rinks, uh, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful buildings there. Um, I remember going into um, Vegas uh, and it was in training camp. So it was, it was a split squad game. So half of Vegas and half of Arizona's roster were playing a game same day in Arizona and the other game was going on in Vegas. So, um, but I remember going and it was, you know, it's preseason and the rink is sold out and the atmosphere was it. You thought you were in the Stanley cup finals. It was unbelievable. So uh, obviously, you know, they know how to market and entertain and all that kind of stuff, but they've done a hell of a job uh, with that team and, 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 promoting the game and, and, and their own, their own brand. And so it was, it was a great building, uh, both <clears throat> from, uh, uh, a fan perspective, like the, the sight lines and, but the atmosphere and everything was terrific. So it, it's, that's a tough one to beat. Um, Columbus has a great rank as well to, to what it's, it's for the, the age of the building. It, it's, it's, there was some, real forethought put in, into the construction of the building. So there's great sight lines in that rank. Um, and when they're winning, they, they, they get terrific fan support. And then of course, they've got their practice facility joined right uh, next door, um, which, is, uh, which is great. So it's not like the players have to go to the other end of town on practice days. And then the AAA program plays out of that ranks, which is really cool for them because now the big boys are, are right next door, you know, so it's, it's really exciting for the young kids as well. So I thought it was a really smart um, uh, concept on their, on their behalf. And, you know, I'm, I think moving forward uh, when any new rinks are being built, there'd probably be a lot of forethought put into that, having your practice facility right there. And then it really grows your grassroots game as well. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of teams are now looking into, especially as we move into more maybe non-traditional markets. Um, but the two great arena or a few great arenas that you mentioned there, you know, the Meridian Center, um, a newer junior hockey arena, and then anytime you can go into the Fortress, I, I think people are excited to be around um, the Vegas team as well. So um, now moving into the reflective questions, one of the things we like to do a lot of times on the podcast is talk about uh, resources that we can provide to people listening. So whether it's books, articles, presentations, seminars, uh, conferences, all these different things that you could look to to learn new ideas. Uh, do you have any favorites that you might want to share uh, to people looking to get into hockey or, or scouting specifically? Yeah, I, I, I feel that any, uh, you know, as much as, uh, as much information that you can put your hands on <clears throat> and the ability to network is, is invaluable. 
And um, so any, any time you see like any hockey conferences, or I know for like young coaches, uh, guys like Mike McKenzie out of Kitchener, he does a terrific job. Um, uh, he's, he's headlined a few uh, really good coaching conferences. And um, uh, so it's, it's growing coaches games at, at the, uh, <clears throat> at the minor hockey and, and junior level and guys that maybe want to aspire uh, whether it's in the scouting or, or just in the coaching uh, uh, vein of, of uh, hockey moving forward. Um, the sports management worldwide, uh, I, I think their programs there have, have, been, uh, have been very well uh, done and the, uh, the personnel that they have involved there really uh, take a hands-on approach. Um, uh, the other thing too is when guys are, like I touched on before that, you know, when you're at games, you know, whether you're working for a tier two team or, or CHL team or whatever the case may be is it's uh, it's also important for the guys, especially young in their careers to don't be afraid to approach, you know, guys that, you know, or NHL scouts and introduce yourself, you know, keep it brief, but um those, those interactions are, are invaluable. And, and, and a guy that was, I give him a lot of credit because he was, he was doing his uh, sports management course at Brock University at the time. And so he was doing some work with uh, Niagara Ice Dogs, but uh, Brandon Curry, a uh, young guy, and he's the assistant GM in, in Niagara. And uh, when he was brand new, I mean, he never missed a guy an NHL scout or GM that was in the building, he made a, uh, he made sure he was introduced himself, shook their hand. And uh, you know what, like a year later, then guys all knew him. And I, I still keep in constant uh, regular contact with Brandon. And, you know, we meet for lunch every now and then up, up the barrier Collingwood area. And, um, but he's, you know, he, he put the work in too. And, um, he's going to have a career, you know, moving forward at the higher levels. And he, uh, he's a, he's a kid who's really uh, dialed in and uh, he's devoted to the game. And, but, but he, he, he was smart enough to see that don't miss up, don't be intimidated just because the guys wearing the jacket and stuff like that, but also know the cues to, you know, don't overstay your welcome either. Um, but there's guys, you know, that, that are, you know, they all, everybody knows him and, uh, and he's made some really good uh, partnerships and friendships with, with uh, guys in the game. So those are the things I think that are important. And, um, but yeah, any, any access that you have to, to free information is hundred uh, um, percent, you know, take it and, and run with it. And if you have any opportunity to expose yourself to any of the the scouting software, uh, that's, that's a bonus too, because then if you're getting your first opportunity with a, say a CHL team, you can tell them, yeah, I have some experience with, with a rink net software because that's, you know, what they're all using for their scouting reports and things like that. So the more, the more prepared you are and, and the more that they can see that, uh, you know, that you're hundred percent all in, um, you know, you're, you're going to have success. You know, you're either, you know, you're either going to knock on the door or you're going to keep knocking on it until it comes down. So something, something will open up. Yeah, no, that's a great answer to that question. And a few things, obviously a lot of great resources and, and people being a great resource as well. Brandon, 
um, is someone who's on the podcast uh, as, as well. Uh, seems like there's a lot of overlap here, but um, I think I was only at Brock for a few weeks when Brandon introduced himself to me as well. So he's just one of those guys that um, really does a great job of networking and then uh, kind of enacting on, on what he learns and uh, definitely someone that's going to move up a level, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. But as, as you kind of give this advice about creating connections and, and as we've seen in your career, um, you know, a lot of great people have been there along the way to help you. So moving into our final question, maybe just talk about some of those key mentors who helped you in your career and just some of the major lessons that they taught you collectively. Yeah. I mean, um, like Mark Hunter, uh, for sure. Um, he, he just, you know, he's been around hockey, obviously his, his entire life. Um, uh, him and Dale, uh, and, and my brother have, uh, have really built, a terrific winning franchise there in London. And, um, they really treated as, uh, as a pro franchise and, um, you know, they try to instill to the players there, you know, the way that to conduct yourself and, and what it takes to, to have success at the next level. And the other thing too, is that they're, they're alumni, you know, guys who have been through the program, they always seem to gravitate back there, whether it's in the summer where for pro skates. Um, and so there's that constant uh, interaction with guys who have gone through their system moved on, had success in, uh, at the national level or in Europe, whatever the case may be, uh, or at the uh, CIS level. And they're always coming through that, that, uh, that area. And so the players that are fortunate enough to play there really are immersed in, in a pro culture. Um, uh, my brother has been, been a terrific uh, mentor as well. I mean, again, been there, done that. And, you know, he had some experience. Uh, he was uh, the GM. Uh, he was uh, primarily in the ownership capacity, but he, he was a GM there for, um, for two years in London as well when they won their Mem Cup. And, uh, and now he's an assistant GM in Columbus. So uh, prior to that, he had, you know, um, he had uh, done some part-time scouting with the Blues. And that's when him and Yarmo uh, developed their relationship. Yarmo was... Uh, the head of amateur scouting at the time. And, uh, and Yarmo even brought him over to uh, Finland when Yarmo left the national hockey league for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, my brother went over there for, uh, for a few months just to get some exposure to the, the European game at the, at the coaching level and, and things like that. So, uh, when Yarmo went, uh, was then hired in Columbus as the, the first Finnish uh, GM, then, um, you know, they remain, they, they remained in contact and eventually uh, uh, Baz came in there as well, director of player personnel, and then on to um, assistant GM. So um, yeah, so he, he's a guy I lean on, uh, you know, now and then for, for advice on, on certain aspects of the game and then the industry. Um, Lindsay Hofford uh, has been uh, uh, really uh, invaluable uh, mentor for me as well. Uh, gave me a, a great opportunity in Arizona. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we stay in constant contact, uh, you know, every, every week. Um, and, you know, it's only a matter of time before Lindsay uh, finds himself back in, in the national hockey league. He's a great hockey mind and, and he's a guy, he just lives it and breathes it very similar to Mark uh, Hunter. So I, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by guys like that. 
and uh, you try to you try to take uh, what you think uh, certain things that they really excel at that maybe you can you can take pieces of that to to complement uh, your game as as far as you know your ability to evaluate and assess uh, talent. Yeah, so many great people that you mentioned there with uh, quite the resumes amongst them, including your brother. So uh, it just goes to show again that there are so many great people in this game and so many people to learn on, learn from and lean on uh, in the process and, and gain great advice. And and then, of course, you've been able to build your own career and, and provide a ton of advice throughout this, uh, this interview. So with that, Bill, I just want to thank you again for taking some time out of your schedule to join me. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and the insight, especially at the highest level. And I wish you all the best here moving forward. Yeah, thanks very much, uh, Ryan, for reaching out to me. Um, I've listened to several of your uh, episodes and I think you're doing a great job. Um, it's really informative and uh, you, you've had a real good mix of guys at, at uh, the various levels. So uh, I think you're doing a great job and um, I'm only too happy to, to uh, come on and give you my two cents uh, worth uh, on on how I see the game and and uh, what I'd like to do to contribute moving forward. Yeah, no, listen, I really appreciate that. It's people like yourself uh, that kind of make it a success that's been thus far. So, uh, you know, once again, thank you for taking some time to join me. And again, all the best. Thanks very much. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to thank Phil for coming on the podcast and sharing a story with us today. Scouting at the NHL level is always a highly requested aspect of the podcast, so for taking the time out of his schedule to talk about that area of the game, I'd like to once again thank him. If you would like to get in touch with Phil to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Pat Malloy, NHL Player Development Coach. Pat has worked in numerous coaching, skill development, and even management roles throughout his time in hockey operations, so I highly suggest you tune in on Wednesday for that release and to hear his story. Once again, thank you to everyone for supporting the podcast, and be sure to give us your thoughts and opinions on the show on your various social media platforms. As always, stay safe and all the best.